Hello, this is Father John Arthur Orr, Associate Pastor at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is our 10th program on man and woman. He created them, a theology of the body. The five years of talks given by Pope John Paul II between the years 1979 and 1984. We're using the edition edited by Professor Michael Waldstein. Let us recall that Christ, when he was asked about the unity and indissolubility of marriage, appealed to what was at the beginning. He quoted the words written in the first chapters of Genesis. This is the reason why we are attempting in the present reflections to penetrate into the meaning that truly belongs to these words and these chapters. The meaning of the original unity of man, whom God has created male and female, is grasped particularly in the light of Genesis chapter 2 verse 23 by knowing man in the whole endowment of his being, that is, in the whole wealth of that mystery of creation standing at the basis of theological anthropology. This knowledge, that is, the search for the human identity of the one who, at the beginning, is alone, must always pass through duality, through communion. Let us recall the passage of Genesis chapter 2, verse 23. Then the man said, This time she is flesh from my flesh and bone from my bones. She will be called woman because from man she has been taken. In the light of this text, we understand that the knowledge of man passes through masculinity and femininity, which are, as it were, two incarnations of the same metaphysical solitude before God and the world, two reciprocally complementing ways of being a body, and at the same time of being human, as two complementary dimensions of self-knowledge and self-determination, and at the same time two complementary ways of being conscious of the meaning of the body. Thus, as Genesis chapter 2 verse 23 already shows femininity in some way finds itself before masculinity, while masculinity confirms itself through femininity. Precisely the function of sex, that is, being male or female, which in some way is constitutive for the person, not only an attribute of the person, shows how deeply man with all his spiritual solitude with the uniqueness and unrepeatability proper to the person is constituted by the body as he or she. Presence of the feminine element next to the masculine and together with it signifies an enrichment for man in the whole perspective of his history, including the history of salvation. All this teaching on unity has already been originally expressed in Genesis chapter 2, verse 23. The unity of becoming one flesh. The unity about which Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 speaks, and the two will be one flesh, 
is without doubt the unity that is expressed and realized in the conjugal act. The biblical formulation, so extremely concise and simple, indicates sex, that is, masculinity and femininity, as that characteristic of man, male and female, that allows them, when they become one flesh, to place their whole humanity at the same time under the blessing of fruitfulness. Yet the whole context of the lapidary formulation does not allow us to stop on the surface of human sexuality. It does not allow us to treat the body and sex outside the full dimension of man and the communion of persons, but imposes on us from the beginning the obligation to see the fullness and depth proper to this unity, the unity that man and woman must constitute in the light of the revelation of the body. Before all else, therefore, the future-oriented expression the man will unite with his wife so intimately that the two will be one flesh always leads us to turn to what the biblical text expresses before this with respect to union in humanity, which connects the woman and the man in the very mystery of creation. The words of Genesis chapter 2 verse 23 just analyzed explain this concept in a particular way. When they unite with each other in the conjugal act so closely so as to become one flesh, man and woman rediscover every time and in a special way the mystery of creation, thus returning to the union in humanity flesh from my flesh and bone from my bones that allows them to recognize each other reciprocally and to call each other by name as they did the first time. This means reliving in some way man's original virginal value, which emerges from the mystery of his solitude before God and in the midst of the world. The fact that they become one flesh is a powerful bond established by the Creator through which they discover their own humanity, both in its original unity and in the duality of a mysterious reciprocal attraction. Sex, however, is something more than the mysterious power of human bodiliness, which acts, as it were, by virtue of instinct. On the level of man and in the reciprocal relationship of persons, Sex expresses an ever-new surpassing of the limit of man's solitude, which lies within the makeup of his body and determines its original meaning. This surpassing always implies that in a certain way one takes upon oneself the solitude of the body of the second eye as one's own. For this reason, the assumption is linked with choice. The formulation of Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 itself indicates not only that human beings created as man and woman have been created for unity, but also that precisely this unity through which they become one flesh has from the beginning the character of a union that derives from a choice. We read, in fact, 
A man will leave his father and his mother and unite with his wife, while the man, by virtue of generation, belongs by nature to his father and mother. He unites, by contrast, with his wife, or she with her husband, by choice. The text of Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 defines this character of the conjugal bond in reference to the first man and the first woman, but at the same time it does so also in the perspective of man's earthly future as a whole. In his own time, therefore, Christ was to appeal to this text as equally relevant in his age. Since they are formed in the image of God, also inasmuch as they form an authentic communion of persons, the first man and the first woman must constitute the beginning and model of that communion for all men and women who in any period unite with each other so intimately that they are one flesh. The body, which through its own masculinity and femininity helps the two a help similar to himself, from the beginning to find themselves in a communion of persons. See Gaudium et Spes, 24, number 3, becomes in a particular way the constitutive element of their union when they become husband and wife. This takes place, however, through a reciprocal choice. The choice is what establishes the conjugal covenant between the persons who become one flesh only based on this choice. This role of choice corresponds to the structure of man's solitude and concretely to a twofold solitude. As an expression of self-determination, the choice rests on the foundation of that structure that is on the foundation of its self-consciousness. It is only based on the structure proper to man that he is a body, and that through the body he is also male and female. When both unite so intimately with each other that they become one flesh, their conjugal union presupposes a mature consciousness of the body. Better yet, this union carries within itself a particular awareness of the meaning of that body in the reciprocal self-gift of the persons. In this sense, too, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, is a future-oriented text. It shows, in fact, that in every conjugal union of man and woman, there is a new discovery of the same original consciousness of the unitive meaning of the body, in its masculinity and femininity. The biblical text thereby indicates at the same time that each union of this kind renews in some way the mystery of creation in all its original depth and vital power. Taken from the man as flesh from his flesh, the woman consequently becomes as wife and through her motherhood mother of the living, Genesis chapter 3 verse 20, because her motherhood has its proper origin also in him. Procreation is rooted in creation, and every time it reproduces in some way its mystery. 
To this subject, we will devote a special reflection, knowledge and procreation. In it, we will refer to further elements of the biblical text. The analysis of the meaning of original unity carried out so far shows in what way, from the beginning, that unity of man and woman inherent in the mystery of creation is also given as a task in the perspective of all future time. With these words, our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, ended his tenth catechesis on man and woman. He created them a theology of the body. Now that Pope John Paul II has laid the groundwork, the groundwork for his theology of the body, man and woman, he created them in the first nine sessions. Now, in the tenth session, in the tenth catechesis, he begins to turn the corner. He begins full court press, focusing on holy marriage, that covenant union between husband and wife, man and woman, as it was in the beginning. Good for us to recall that the Pope began his work reminding us all of the words of Christ, how Christ appealed to the beginning. The Pope spoke to us about what it means to say the beginning, what is original solitude, what is original unity. In this passage we've just heard, he focuses on the unity of becoming one flesh. Holy marriage is that union of the two, the husband and the wife, in the nuptial embrace where they become one flesh. And out of the starting block, Pope John Paul II speaks about the unity and indissolubility of marriage. This husband for this wife, forsaking all others. What God has joined, let no man put asunder. Divorce contrary to the unity of holy marriage. Polygamy or polyandry, contrary to the unity of holy marriage. Indissolubility, likewise, part of this unity of the two, the husband and the wife, this man and that woman, till death do they part. Indissolubility does not dissolve. Once the vows are spoken, I do, I do, to have and to hold from this day forward in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health, to love and honor all the days, this is indissolubility. Part of the theology of the body, as presented by Pope John Paul II. Marriage, that unity of the two, the masculine and the feminine. Two men do not make a marriage. Two women do not make a marriage. The masculine and the feminine, the complementarity required. Part of the constitutive makeup, that without which there is no. You need to have a man. You need to have a woman. This masculinity and femininity, part of the theology of the body from the beginning. Christ appeals to the beginning. Marriage as between a man and a woman, the male and the female. This is countercultural in 2010 when I'm recording this, but it was no less countercultural in 1979 through 1984 those five years when John Paul first spoke these discourses, so often in the Paul VI Auditorium in Rome, but even sometimes in the Piazza San Pietro, St. Peter's Square, 
be not afraid. So important for us to remember those words, which made famous by John Paul, but spoken first by Christ, the risen Lord. We should never be afraid to speak the truth of the gospel, the truth of our faith. But here, Pope John Paul II, in presenting the theology of the body, is also speaking rational truth, truth which is knowable by human nature. One does not need to be baptized or a card-carrying Catholic to recognize what is human nature, the complementarity of the male and the female, the masculine and the feminine, the man and the woman, that John Paul and so many who would listen to him or read his writings believed, had faith, lived by grace, gave them all the more reason to turn to sacred scripture, where we read about the beginning, where we hear Christ appeal to the beginning. But these things are knowable even by our unaided human intelligence. The reciprocity, the attraction for the man and the woman, the husband and the wife, built into our nature. There are disordered attractions, and they are just that disordered. In our day, there are those who would celebrate what is called intergenerational love. This is not right. In our day, there are those who champion same-sex unions. This likewise is not right. The reciprocal attraction proper between husband and wife, this is what corresponds to our nature. This is what corresponds to divine revelation. This is what corresponds with the theology of the body as presented by Pope John Paul II in his many talks some years ago. Marriage is between a husband and a wife, this man and this woman, who make up between themselves a communion of persons, the communion of persons of husband and wife, mirroring the communion of persons of the Blessed Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That communion of persons of the Holy Trinity is eternal. The communion of persons between husband and wife is temporal in the here and now, till death do you part. But when one is faithful in holy marriage, the husband to his wife, the wife to her husband, then the way is clear for heaven. And that union between Christ and his bride, Mother Church, is mirrored. And their fruitfulness, the fecundity, brings a third or further persons into existence, the parents giving the matter, the body, and God giving the soul. This is the fruit of the conjugal act. The word conjugal is a compound word, con, the prefix for with, and jungus, meaning yoke, with a yoke. And as two ox are yoked together to plow a field, so husband and wife bound together for the field of life, and they work their salvation out together in fear and trembling, growing in wisdom and knowledge before God and man. The conjugal act is a way of saying to make love. The conjugal union has a unitive meaning, which is rediscovered each time the Pope reminds us, the conjugal act is to be conscious. Without consciousness, without the intention, the choice, it is not truly the conjugal act. 
it is in the conjugal act that the two become one flesh. And one of the happy consequences, so often, sometimes, according to God's will, actually results in the procreation of another person, this son, this daughter, these children, the fruit of the love between the husband and wife, the male and the female, the man and the woman, whose reciprocity mirrors the interrelatedness of the divine persons of the Trinity, whose very being is love, and who is generous. Who is the Lord and the giver of life, we pray in the creed, Almighty God. And the parents cooperate with God in the giving of life. Pope John Paul II reminds us in this 10th Catechesis of the Theology of the Body, Man and Woman, He Created Them, that the man and the woman, the husband and the wife, the masculine and the feminine, the male and the female, are two reciprocally complementing ways of being a body. Both the husband and the wife, both the man and the woman, have body. This is a male body. This is a female body. They're complementary. Two complementary ways of being conscious of the meaning of the body. Men have a certain appreciation for their own bodies and for that of the woman. The women have a real understanding, a real consciousness of being a woman and recognizing the bodies of men. Complementary ways of being conscious of the meaning of the body, complementary ways of being a body. For Pope John Paul II, the body and sex are not to be treated outside the full dimension of man and the communion of persons. This is what happens in pornography. This is what happens in prostitution or casual sexual encounters. The body and the sex are not treated in light of the full dimension of the human person and the communion of persons. The full dimension of man sees him not only as a body, and not only as a soul, not only as an animal, but as a rational being, as a being made in the image of God, made for communion, who actually came into being, came into existence through communion of the parents. How important for us to have a grasp on this full dimension of the human being, made in the image of God, made for communion, because it changes the way we approach our own bodies, and our sexuality. Pope John Paul II, who has spoken repeatedly in these first ten catecheses on the theology of the body, man and woman, he created them, has spoken about original holiness, original justice, original innocence. In this passage, he speaks to us also of the original virginal value. And whenever he speaks about value, it is a reminder that there is a good, that which we should pursue and do, and there is evil which we should avoid, not do, or repent should we do it. To speak of value is to introduce ethics or morals, what good we should do, what evil we should avoid or repent, including with our bodies. Since these catechesis are on the theology of the body, Man and woman, he created them. What does God want us to do? How does God want us to act in our bodies? We're body-soul composites. 
and the value of our very being, the value of our bodies, the value of the nuptial embrace reserved for the couple, this husband and this wife, this man and this woman, open to marriage, open to children, open to the gift of life. Pope John Paul II reminds us that sex expresses an ever new surpassing of the limit of man's solitude. Yes, we are alone in the world, different from all the other beings, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, the beasts of the field, but a husband and a wife, a man and a woman, made for each other, and the two become one flesh. And God saw that it was very good. Fill the earth and subdue it. So the original solitude, which was both solitude for the man and solitude for the woman, for as human beings, unlike any other beings on the face of the earth, this solitude is ever new surpassed by the nuptial embrace. There are 133 of these different conferences in Pope John Paul II's Theology of the Body. We've been going through part one and chapter one of part one, the words of Christ. Christ appeals to the beginning. Pope John Paul II has reminded us what it means by beginning, how Genesis, the first book of sacred scripture, speaks to us about the beginning, how we're told about the first and the second creation accounts of the human race, and how our bodies have been redeemed by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ in his body. We were reminded of our original solitude in a twofold sense, in the single creation and in the double creation. Adam created first, the single creation and the double creation. Adam and Eve created together. Solitude insofar as the human being, the human person is unlike any other being, living being on the face of the earth. We search for the meaning of our being and what it means to be a human being made in the image of God, able to know, able to love. We are subjects. I myself, you yourself, each one of us, a distinct subject, an acting person, as John Paul II would say in other writings. In our bodies, we are unique. Sure, we all have ten toes, two feet, a nose, elbow, you name it, but yours is yours and mine is mine, even if they are categorized the same in a medical, clinical, corporeal sense. There is a difference between death and immortality. Immortality, never to die again. We've been going over the third number of chapter one of part one, the words of Christ, finishing up the last part, the meaning of original unity. This conference has gone over the unity of becoming one flesh, the nuptial embrace. Before this, we went over the unity of the two, the husband and the wife, Adam and Eve, the male and the female, created together as part of the good creation, made for a communion of persons, mirroring that eternal communion of persons, which is the Holy Trinity, a communion of persons on this side of eternity, the family, the father, the mother, the children, this husband, this wife, these offspring. We're reminded of those words spoken in Genesis not the creative words of God, but those words Adam spoke in the face of his bride. If 
flesh from my flesh, bone from my bone. Another self was recognized, and each of us are called to recognize another self in each other, in our neighbors, the human race, the family of man under the fatherhood of God. Our next program will go over the meaning of original nakedness, giving an introduction to Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, and we'll begin to focus on the boundary experience of shame. Until next time, God bless you.